Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolution's Editor-in-Chief, Ahmed Alawalia, speaks with Karen Peterson, who is Dean of Global Campus at Kansas State University. We talked to Karen about the evolution of online and professional education and emerging trends higher education can expect to see as we head into a new normal. Let's get into it. Karen, thank you so much for joining us uh, for today's episode of Illumination. We really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here and I've been looking forward to this. Let's dive in. One of the reasons that, that I'm so excited that you've taken the time out is, is sort of your experience in the sort of professional online continuing ed space. And I'm curious as to what some of the some of the major trends that, that you've seen kind of shaping the place of these uh, these divisions over, over the past five or six years. Yeah, so, you know, it's been a journey for me professionally. So I've been in this space for a long time. And so I can turn the clock back and, and see those opportunities throughout my career where we have transitioned and we have moved and, you know, I've taken institutions in new directions. But I have to say, even the last two years, given the pandemic, I said it more than once. And if I said it more than once, I said it a hundred times, the word unprecedented. And I think that for me really shapes where units like the one that I oversee at Kansas State University have found ourselves in this kind of unprecedented time. And so even pre-pandemic, a lot was happening on campuses and a lot was happening with institutions. When we think about online learning and continuing education and professional development of uh, employees, as we think about our partnerships with employers, just it, it is a landscape that is ever evolving. And that is the one thing I really appreciate and value at each of the institutions where I have been. The unit, no matter what it was called, had this kind of entrepreneurial perspective, this make it happen, get it done, sort of live on the cutting edge. And I think in many ways, for many of us, that foundation or that sort of focus has served us well as we thought about our time over time, uh, just because it allows you to navigate a world that's different today than it might be tomorrow. And I think that helped many of us as we transitioned the last couple of years. I've got two directions that I want to take us from here because it, you, you raised some really interesting points there. I'll start with the concept of innovation in the continuing ed space and the idea of you know, living on the periphery. Because one of the, the beautiful things about continuing ed is that it's able to do innovative, market-responsive, forward-looking stuff in some cases because there isn't the same oversight over the work that's happening in continuing ed that other main campus divisions might have. So as continuing education, professional education, online education starts to become closer to the core of the institution, do you think there'll be the same capacity for innovation and experimentation that there was when continuing ed just kind of lived a little bit outside the scope of, of what the institution considered its, its main focus? I think it really depends on the institution and how that institution positions those opportunities. And I think that for me 
there's lots of institutions that are thinking about that pivot to the future. What does that look like? How do we do that? And in many cases, it's about this transformative approach. What we've been doing maybe kind of off to the side now has, as you said, that movement to the core, the ability to do that on a larger scale. And so that sort of gets me up and, you know, thinking about what I do every day, because I see those of us that use market insights as we think about program development and programs to move forward and that decision, that yes, no decision about a new program. Do we do it? Do we not? The ability to take those market insights to an entire institution, whether it's courses that are delivered primarily on a campus or primarily a traditional freshman to that individual that's 35 and looking to uh, change their life with a degree and everything in between, I think we have this opportunity to bring some of our best practices from the area that we've lived in and take it to an entire institution. And that's exciting to think about. Well, and that's the other point, because there's, I think at some institutions, in some cases, there's an excitement for adopting, you know, what's happening in continuing ed, for replicating what's happening in continuing ed. And at others, there's a flavor for collaborating with continuing ed. Between those two options of, you know, adopting the model, but doing it independently or collaborating with continuing ed to do it together, what would you say is is sort of the best approach for delivering the quality of programming and the quality of experience that that a non-traditional learner would expect? I just think collaboration is always the way to go. And that ability to really be able to think about no matter the audience we're serving, no matter their life situation, no matter where they are in their uh, career trajectory, that ability to collaborate with colleagues across an institution, I think brings strength. And I think it brings that opportunity for everyone to grow in different and unique ways. And I will say that you know, that's one of the conversations we're having um, at my current institution is, you know, there are fewer graduating seniors from high schools and fewer of them in some cases are going on to any post-secondary education. So the audiences that we need to serve um, and how we serve them, I think is, is where I learn from my colleagues. And I think they learn from the work that we've done in global campus as well. What's the future of continuing ed? And like, you know, a simple question. How do you see the role of continuing ed divisions continuing to to evolve within the context of of the broader, relatively rigid post-secondary institution? Well, again, I think if, if we can bring that sort of entrepreneurial, that make it happen, get it done, Um, nimbleness that we have traditionally had, if we can bring parts and pieces of that to a a broader institutional perspective, it's fantastic. And the reason I say that is that I'm not as nervous about the work that we do. What I'm thinking about and what's on my mind a lot of times is non-higher education providers. Um, that are moving into the space. And for me, 
I believe that's where we need to focus our attention. We bring incredible strength uh, to the table, um, working at the first working land-grant institution in the country. Kansas State University brings some incredible thinking and an incredible approach to education and the educational landscape. Um, Strengths that we have that other non-higher ed uh, providers don't have. So how do we amplify those strengths? And so to me, I would just say, we have to get more agile and we have to think differently about the work that we do in higher education because there's others out there that are nibbling at the edges and, and they're certainly taking bites out of the landscape that we have traditionally seen as, as sort of higher eds. To your mind, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the concept of internal collaboration versus competition, a wider adoption of the philosophies of continuing at the DNA of continuing at across the rest of the institution, and this balancing act between supporting innovation and experimentation while at the same time maintaining, you know, consistency in, in rigor and consistency in institutional branding. What advice would you have for senior executives who are balancing these seemingly divergent priorities while trying to keep their institution moving in an innovative or at least in a a student-centric direction? I think for me, it would really be one, uh, we are looking at at kind of a, a mindset shift. And from a senior leadership perspective, recognizing um, that as an institution, we may serve a broader audience, we may do it differently, and that our approach has to be one where we're thinking about that future state and that that looks different than our current state. And being open to that, um, recognizing that there's many different ways that we can approach a situation and how can we value all that our institution brings to the table. So from my vantage point, I'm looking for that senior leadership partnership as well. It's it's kind of a 360 when you think about that collaboration. So thinking about it from a senior leadership perspective, my colleagues on at my institution, as well as those individuals that are making it happen. And to me, the individuals that are making it happen are so critically important. So I think about the value of instructional designers today and how we rely on instructional designers, how we rely on academic advisors, student success coaches. These are the individuals that make it happen every day. And that's, for me, where we need to focus our attention. How do we make our work seamless? How do we make our work make sense? as we are navigating these change environments. And that's what's going to be critical as well. The voices of those individuals on the front line that are engaging with prospective students and working on that persistence with current students, navigating the challenges uh, with learners as they make their way through this institutional environment. That's a place where we need to focus. It's one of the things that I've done. I love doing process maps and that learner journey mapping. uh, When you think about what it takes for an individual to raise their hand and say, I'm interested in institution X, and then actually earn their degree and finish. 
Um, there's a lot of steps in between. And sometimes as institutions, we don't make that journey very easy. And I think that's where we can come together and collaborate on that journey. And how do we make it seamless? And how do we support prior learning for individuals? And what does that look like? So there's a lot of places where I think collaboratively and thinking about it holistically, we have opportunities to impact on the future of higher education. From those of us sitting in the seat of a continuing online learning leader. I'll tell you, I mean, I love the vision, right? Because there is, there's a necessity that we find some method of of developing sort of a seamless lifelong learning pathway, that we develop some kind of mechanism that learners can, can flow into and out of the institution in ways that make sense to them with appropriate credentials available with, you know, learning assessment that makes sense for their goals with price points and modalities that make sense for their goals. And within that context, again, you can see the role that continuing ed would play at every stage. Are we moving to a future where continuing ed is shifting from being kind of a standalone unit where everything happens internally to more of a shared service across the institution where the, you know, the expertise of continuing ed is being leveraged and and delivered on in, in multiple ways? You know, I think it's a great question. I guess I would look at it from the vantage point of, and just say, it depends. And it depends <laughs> with all things. You know, and that's the thing I really love about um, standing side by side with colleagues from, you know, pick 10 different institutions and we can sit down and map the work that we do at each of our institutions and it's going to look different. Um, so I think that for me is really this opportunity as we look to the future. Um, what makes sense for the institution? Where are they in terms of their trajectory as far as alternative credentials or when we think about places where they, they may go? What makes sense for them from a mission perspective, from a culture perspective? I think we're going to continue to see just this array of units doing an array of things as their position within their institutions. I think the past is going to continue to be somewhat of the future in terms of the look and feel of continuing online education units, that sort of professional education, what it's called, how we do it, the positions, um, the role, the integration, the collaboration. I think we're gonna have more of the same where it's gonna be very institution specific. I'm really struggling with that. I guess in terms of part of the challenge that continuing ed seems to face, and we'll get into that in more detail as, as, as we continue, but is this idea of you know, being broadly uncertain of what happens in, over there because it's so different from institution to institution, because continuing ed really does pick up the pieces to some extent of what that institution happens to need in order to serve new or different audiences or in order to expand its reach, fulfill its mission. And at what point do we have to say that this sort of very diversified approach to the profession of continuing ed winds up harming the profession as a whole because there isn't that similarity because it's very difficult to establish 
you know, common structures or measures that can help define quality outside of the institution itself. And, and I'll be honest, I'm thinking about this from the context of, you know, getting to a point where we're able to leverage financial aid for, for non-degree credentials and alternative credentials. It seems like that stumbling block winds up becoming a major one in that, you know, we're very responsive to the needs at the institution at the moment, but are we responsive to the needs societally in, in, a, in that larger way? You know, I, I think that's a, an excellent point. And there are those places where I think as professionals in the field, um, that ability to come together and advocate for larger picture changes. When I was working at the Online Learning Consortium as the Chief Knowledge yeah. Officer, we had this opportunity to partner with other professional associations um, developing the Adult Learner Coalition. And part of that was focused on this need to really look at the Higher Education Act and how it works and or doesn't work for different types of learners. And so I totally get your point that as professionals in the field, we need to step into some of those policy areas and we need to be a voice for all types of learners. And we need to help our institutions and maybe our government affairs professionals and our institutions to see the opportunities that, that where we can have this voice, um, where we can help to shape that future. That's gonna be critically important for us to do. Um, and I think there are some professional organizations that lean into that. Um, where, you know, we are asked to tap our, our representatives. I'm involved in one right now around military learners and how do we better support them as they're looking at taking online courses. And those are the kinds of conversations where that collaboration across industries or across institutions can be so critically important. And so I think that is an important um, role for leaders is to step into those conversations that are larger than your institution that are really shaping the future of education. So I, I appreciate you breaking that down a little bit more. It is, I'll, I'll tell you, it is comforting to, to recognize the both end opportunity that, that we have. So as we think about this sort of future role for continuing education and, and this space that, that we expect the profession to occupy in, in sort of higher ed's next stage, I do my best not to use the word evolution <laughs> if I can. It's taken on a totally different meaning for me. So I, as we think about the, the role that continuing ed plays, I mean, what are some of the hurdles or the roadblocks that, that you see standing in the way of, of executing on or re realizing this vision? Um, well, I mean, I, I think from a, a kind of a tactical perspective, one of the areas that I see is that we need far more instructional designers than we have today. And this is one of those areas where I feel that we, we need to work uh, to uh, develop those programs, to support those, those graduates from those programs, to support those professionals in the field. And this is an area where we in higher education are competing um, with other um, entities and other industries for those uh, professionals. And so that to me is, has the potential to be 
um, a place where we are challenged. We think from a tactical perspective, how do we how do we operate? If you've ever looked on one of the job boards, I mean, the number of institutions that are looking for instructional designers, instructional technologists, um, UX experience persons, uh, you know, you name it. That whole area is an area where I get nervous about our ability to, to navigate that. Where I feel that we have challenges as well is around the alternative credentialing space. And not that we can't do it, but if there is this kind of wild, wild west feeling in terms of what we call things and how we, uh, the nomenclature we use and, and, and all of those things. And I think it leads to some degree of confusion on the part of prospective learners. We know what a semester hour is. We know what a bachelor's program is. In general, we have this, this kind of like structure that we work in. Some of the alternative credentialing space for me today, it is nebulous. And that I think is a space where um, we have this opportunity to engage in those conversations across institutions on really that, that nomenclature and how do we position that 60-year curriculum and what does that look like and what do we call those things? I think that's a space where we have an opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that it leads into this sort of next question is as you look to 2022 and beyond, I mean, what are some of the trends that continuing ed leaders, but higher ed leaders in general should, should be keeping an eye on? Well, you know, one of the things that I was really struck having read your recent publication that you did with Upsia on uh, alternate credentials, micro-credentials, there were some questions that were kind of surprising to me that we in the field, you know, had some uncertainty about how to answer those questions or, or Interesting. We, didn't have, we didn't have the insights maybe to answer them. We, there were some don't knows that were kind of surprising yeah. to me. And I think that's the place where we need to really understand our business and we need to be better at that financial ROI side of things and what that looks like. And so I, I guess that's where my takeaway was, is am I where I need to be as a professional in this field, given this landscape shift that we're seeing? And can I answer those questions on an odd Thursday that I need to be able to answer, whether it's internally in my institution or on a survey like that, I think that's going to be really critical for us because it is a new day and, and some of the metrics that we might have used in the past and how we would navigate that ROI that looks different today than it does when you're talking about a full degree program. That is, I'll tell you, I mean, that is something that actually jumped out at me as well. You know, just a few for, for the listeners, um, you know, a few of the don't knows that did come up. You had 30% of, of respondents say they didn't know who the target audience for micro-credentials should be at their institution. And I mean, you know, we can, you can dive in, into more detail. Please do visit moderncampus.com to download that research and, and take a look for yourself. But there were some really startling ones that, you know, too many people didn't know on some of those answers that, you know, it's a little concerning. Methods for determining quality, again, about a third of respondents said they didn't really have 
have a clear sense of, of how you determine the quality of, of a micro credential and alternative credential. It's, you know, beyond just the, the business performance piece, those are, you know, as we start running more like businesses, I think that's <laughs> having clear sense of those, those metrics and those drivers are going to be really important. Uh, Karen, you know, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time out. And one other thing as well that I, I just want to thank those of you who've, who've really embraced the podcast format and, and listened to our podcast. Those of you, I'm sure some of you who've been reading us for, for the past 10 years, we wouldn't be anywhere without your support. And in fact, you know, having just launched Midsummer, Illumination is now ranked at number 16 on Feedspot's list of top 50 higher ed podcasts. So we wouldn't be there if it wasn't for, for the folks who, who've really been excited about this. And Karen, thank you so much for being part of part of this movement, part of this new new thing that we're trying out because it's been a lot of fun for us as well. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners, while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.